0: Welcome to The Extra Podcast. This is episode 260. Around the table with me, I have Jeff. uh you have kind of dulcet tones. Dulcet? We mention this a lot. What's dulcet mean?
1: I mean? Every time he talks on the podcast, I think, between the... You guys should just do it just alone. Paul, you and, <laughs> you and Poochie
0: a... should do it alone
1: because... Dulcet is the moment Greg talks, they're like, oh, they do have a girl.
2: <laughs> yep. <laughs> we have Greg... <laughs> hi put on your radio voice
3: <laughs> welcome to the extra podcast we're in the recording bunker
2: he sounds like casey Kasem
0: casey. and paul <laughs> hi and then of course matt Pucci, the producer
3: i love that you've embraced the nickname
0: mm-hmm. like you don't just what choice do i have
3: to not embrace the nickname
0: yeah but then i just yeah. look then you're that does guy
2: anybody you know. have you had anybody run into you and go hey pooch
0: Oh, all the time, like <laughs> in the church hallways, all the time. <laughs> that
3: that actually makes me kind of <laughs> happy,
0: because you, you, they put a picture of Pucci on one of the podcast episodes, and so now people mm. can make the connection in their heads right away. You know, yeah,
2: it's good. Only when you have the hat on, though. It's like it's like Superman. There's a reason, the reason I stopped wearing Clark Kent with yeah. the glasses.
3: Yeah, we we beat that thing out of you.
2: Yeah, but the nickname
0: stuck.
3: Yep. Mm-hmm. Sure did.
2: Sweet.
0: Hey,
3: did you guys Greg. know that uh, it's the NBA Finals right now? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it's pretty exciting. It is times. not. It is. <laughs>
1: yeah, I did know that.
3: So <laughs> is it going to be a sweep, or do you think Cleveland's going to pull out one game?
2: Yeah, I don't know. I don't I know. Think, I mean, about you, you're basically looking at the best team in history playing right now. Oh, no, stop that. What are you talking? No, about? they're not the best team in
1: history. Really? Stop that! No. Why Look, would they not be? Anybody who's lived through the eight, <laughs> any, <laughs> any, anybody who's lived through the 80s knows full well that that team is not the best team. Seventy-three ever. and nine. There are several different teams in the 1980s that are that that are better than them.
3: But they do have the best point guard probably ever. Oh.
1: Greg, you were in the car with me while you were talking about this with Kyle Meeker, and it just (laughs) incensed me how everyone thinks Steph Curry is the best point guard ever. Really, you know, he's better than Magic Johnson and Oscar Robertson. Yeah, he's much better. He's probably not better than Steve Nash though. Oscar Robertson,
2: you know, back in those days, Nash was better than him for a longer time. They would smoke in the locker rooms back in those days, and still put up a triple double.
1: Dude, you, you and I both know that Oscar was smoking while he was putting up the triple-double. He was passing with one hand, and he had the the cigarette in his
2: left. <laughs> I'll just shoot this one.
3: <laughs>
1: Best point guard ever. That was actually really... Well,
2: you know, I mean, two... A point guard. How many point guards have had two uh, MVPs in a row? I don't care. Like, maybe Steve Nash? <laughs> Steve Nash is maybe in the yeah, conversation. Yeah, because Steph
1: Curry's the best best single basketball player in the NBA, is he? He's Currently, he's the best player in the NBA. Like, on the planet, he's, yes. the, be- he's the best. I would say yes. Rubbish. Oh, my goodness. He's not even close. There's a guy named LeBron James who's the best player on the <laughs> who's, planet. who slept through the last two games. But I, it, it doesn't matter. He's the best player on the planet. <laughs> really? What yeah, do you, what do you be- take into account? To- All-around basketball. So like, can, all, what does character come into it Steph at all? Curry can she, Is character leadership required ability. Is character leadership re- ability? Does he's that he's been in? to six straight finals?
2: Right. From from <laughs> so the Eastern not, Conference. That's not good enough.
1: Oh, you guys are ridiculous.
2: He maybe was two years ago. Steph but he's Curry's not a Christian, so he's gotta be better.
1: Knock <laughs> well, it off. You guys are ridiculous. Re- Okay, but he's, he's clearly
3: the best shooting.
1: He's the best shooter maybe ever. Yeah. Although I think uh, uh, one Larry Bird might have something to say about I that. I don't think Larry Bird yeah.
3: could create the shots at Steph Curry. I love Larry. You
1: know, I, okay. Jeff. Okay. I have I'm my Larry in. Bird socks. Okay, I'm, I'm done. <laughs> <laughs> I'm leaving.
2: <laughs> <laughs> there he goes. He's the gone. Door. We the made door. <laughs> Slam it.
3: <laughs> you think Larry Bird was Bear Shooter?
2: He's coming back. Larry Bird... Jeff, you know how much I have my Larry Bird socks. I have a Larry Bird jersey.
1: <laughs> two seasons, two seasons from some kid from Davidson who no one expected anything from does not a Larry Bird make. Stop it. Stop it right
0: now. We need to move on. All right. Oh, Let's man. go to our first question from a listener. This question is, uh, <laughs> it reads, does Northview have a place it can go for shelter in the event of a catastrophe such as a terrorist attack, a volcanic eruption, or an earthquake? No,
1: so, no, no is the answer <laughs> no. to the question we well, don't. we're in
2: it. Come on.
1: Actually, I don't think that. I, yeah, actually, this, this might be a fallout shelter, this room that we're in right now, the recording studio. The so, max
0: occupancy is a little low.
1: There's right. like six so. people. So we're going to we have to choose. So you can send your applications in now for your place in the Fallout Shelter uh, room. Don't you think podcast team
0: would get...
2: Well.
3: <clears throat> Who's
0: going to listen if, to us? If, <laughs> if, if we're looking for the future of our species, maybe not. But <laughs> <Well>, then we <laughs> the could send out team. things on the airwaves. Yeah. Come to... No, no. no.
3: So here's... <laughs> I. I'm not convinced that this question is as crazy as it sounds. Here's what I mean: it, this, we could read this question as someone asking, like, doomsday? Are we going to be able to build a bunker big enough to fit everyone? Or we could read it as her just asking, do we? Are we prepared in the case of an emergency to be a, a place where we are providing mm-hmm. care medically and food and water yes uh and is that something that the local church in light of data that we're receiving about pending earthquakes and probabilities of other issues out of our control is it wise for local churches to plan to be safe havens in the event of these things actually happening
1: yeah, and that is probably the most charitable way to view it. So let's view it that way. No, let's seriously, we should view it that way. Yeah, because there might be an earthquake or a fire or some right. sort of thing that causes the problem. So, so let me jump in and try to try to engage a little bit with that. Um, we we are of the opinion in our culture, at least the way that those of us in a, around the church, the way we view it, is that the, that the church is responsible to look after us. We treat the church in some ways like the government, right? And by that, I mean, if I go to a particular local church, we say stuff all the time, like, well, why isn't the church doing that? And why isn't the church doing this? And look at the problems on the streets of our cities. What's the church doing? And by the church, we mean the institutional church. Uh, Here's my question. Is, Is it the responsibility of local churches to address every societal ill in their communities? And by local churches, I mean the institution of the local church. Or, and you guys can accuse me of false dichotomy here, that's fine. Or is it the responsibility of Christians who make up the church to take care of the societal ills in their community? And is there a difference?
2: Do you understand my question? Yes. So you're talking... Uh, at well, in school, we would talk about the church as an institution, the church as an organism. Yeah, The organism being the people who make up the church, like you just said. So I would say that, yes, Christians are responsible to be wherever they work, wherever they are involved, if they're involved in, in schools, if they're involved in medicine, whatever, that they would... Seek the common good. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, but, I would say but that for the institution... um is it our res- responsibility I don't I don't think so now when we look at history though we look at how many churches started hospitals and things like that which yeah. were great things which is something that that
1: the Christians <clears throat> couldn't couldn't do on their own so maybe this is something that Christians can't do on their own so in in one an- sense I'm answering yeah I think it'd be if there was a local church that said look we're going to we're going to have a you know uh, a bunch of water and uh What's I don't what what spam is that stuff that lasts for yeah, I don't sure. know Twinkies yeah they love like spam over too. in Hawaii basically
3: yeah. everything that Poochie buys when he goes grocery yeah, shopping Twinkies mm, so
1: we're gonna have some water and some Twinkies and we're gonna put them in a in a room if a church decided that that was a way that they were going to address and be serve the common good I I would of course have no problem with that, is it an obligation for a local church to do that? And is that the the loving thing for them and local mm. church, meaning the institutional church? I, I just think that there's a distinction that needs to be made between the activities of Christians for the common good and the activities of a local church institutionally mm. for the common good. There are going to be some things that local churches institutionally get involved in, but not everything. So like the local mm. church doesn't need to run its own uh, baseball league. No. Okay. Right uh the the local church doesn't need doesn't need to uh run its own own halfway housing complex although it could and there are churches that do that and that's fantastic if the church decides you know pragmatically that the better way to to address those problems is through the church actually institutionally coming behind and making that solution then that's fine i just don't think i would want to obligate a local church in any way to say that that's actually your responsibility. It's the responsibility of Christians to serve the, the community for the common good. Right. So you could stockpile it, is what I'm saying. Right? At your at your, at your house or whatever, you could stockpile it. Mm. Right. And then help your neighbors when they come by. Right. Because mm-hmm. there will be earthquakes and all sorts of problems that <coughs> take that take place. In all honesty, the question did ask the question about Armageddon, Greg. So
2: we are being very charitable.
3: Yeah. <laughs> they also suggested buying a big piece of property.
2: In the backwoods of Mission.
3: In order, because, yeah. That'll be safer.
1: <laughs> In the back, because nobody's going to touch the backwoods of Mission. <laughs> right?
3: When natural disasters could.
1: No, they're immune. <laughs> <laughs> the backwoods of Mission, they are immune to that kind of thing. Have you been to the backwoods of Mission?
3: I don't even know to Have, which. It's, it's actually referring. beautiful back there. I've been Beautiful
1: to a, scenery. I've been to a gun range up there. Mm. Wow! I don't go to gun ranges. This is the only gun range I've ever been to. I went with a police officer up there because he he said he it would be fun if I could fire some some pistols, and I did. I went up there
3: and was it fun? Yeah, I
1: don't know if I like shooting stuff. Hmm. I it's just not my thing. I get some people who really like hunting and things, and that's great. I just am not. Yeah, I'm not a. You I'm like, not a shooter of guns. You like shooting, although as an American, aliens. I already own like seven of them.
2: <laughs> right, right. How many? Just in case. case, but you didn't bring them across the line. Just in case. Now they're Unlike in Sumas. I'm
1: storing them in Sumas with mm. your codeine, in case, in case I need to <laughs> fight back against the man. And in this case, the man's like. Don't Trump. let the man get you. The man's like. Those uh, are wise words, Hillary Clinton. <laughs>
2: wow. Oh yeah.
1: Wow, at all you, right look at you'
0: mm-hmm. getting all political no way <laughs> <laughs> let's uh let's move on <laughs> I'm kidding by the way yes <laughs> um this question comes in from a listener uh, it says really? so- yes they they actually all do huh can someone be a christian and believe that the bible is not the inerrant word of God depends on what you mean by inerrant I would think that
1: I don't care if you use that word by any means but I think that you need to hold a viewpoint about the words of Christ. If you believe the Bible conveys the words of Jesus and at the places where, where the or it's, a faithful, it's a faithful representation you of don't the just teaching mean, of the
2: apostles. You don't just mean the red letters.
1: No, I don't. But I mean like if, if the Bible, if, if you start with the premise, okay, the scriptures have faithfully recorded for us the teaching of God and the, those sorts of things, his word to us. If you deny that sort of thing, then Jesus has got some really harsh things to say about people who don't honor his word, Mm -hmm. okay? Mm -hmm. So just, you can read John 8, and you can come to conclusions regarding how, here's some people who didn't have room for his word. That's Mm -hmm. the language that he uses there. Mm -hmm. So uh, obviously, that's the case. The debate, though, over inerrancy is, well, but does the Bible consistently convey the teaching of God at every point? Now, I say yes, it does. I I believe the Bible is truthful in all it affirms. And that's what I mean by inerrancy. It's trustworthy. But I don't care whether you use the word inerrancy. It doesn't bother me one bit. It's just a word. If you agree with the concept, I'm cool with it. But um, so it gets dicey. Depends on what you mean. I'm asking the definitional question. It depends on what you mean by, by inerrancy. There are warnings in
2: Scripture around people who don't have room for the words of of Jesus, right? No, we we can't we can't go and pick and choose what we want to follow just because it doesn't agree with what our cultural sensibilities are.
1: And yet, there are places that are a little more difficult in our cultural like that we would put some question marks over. For example, uh, issues related to the interplay between the, what what modern science teaches about the reality of things. And what the scriptures seem to teach about the reality things. There, there are places, for example, there were years where there, there were some Christians who thought that the they believed in heliocentricity. No, they didn't. They believed in geocentricity. Mm-hmm. So the Earth was the center of the world. They were not oh, the yeah, only right. ones, right? But they came to realize that oh, we've been reading the Bible poorly. That sure. some of the passages that we use to try to defend that didn't actually say the say as much, right? And that when you looked at the context, oh, we made more of these texts than they actually have said. So that happens. And I think that that there are contemporary debates and challenges that are brought up Mm -hmm. that we end up looking back at the scriptures and saying, oh, actually, we haven't read this well. Um, And so that happens, and it still is going to happen. I I do think there's a lot of danger, though, in that that constant, uh, um, what do you call it? in constantly changing what you think, the, oh, the Bible doesn't say anything about homosexuality. The Bible doesn't say anything about, you know, it, it, the Bible's under assault in this regard. So mm-hmm. please don't hear me as saying that I think that, that uh, this is something that happens all the time and that every cultural pressure needs to be, you know, brought in and we need to abandon our traditional understandings of scripture. But it is possible that we have read it poorly. So we entertain those ideas and we, and we come to conclusions about them. I feel like I'm rambling. Sorry. You, you guys jumped okay. in.
3: one of the other questions in the in the email, sorry, mm-hmm. Poochie, uh, says, Can someone be a Christian and think some of the things are simply untrue? Mm-hmm. So that what they're reading in the in the text mm-hmm. d- doesn't seem true to them. They they can't go with it. Are can they still be so, Christian and hold that view? So from?
2: that would probably like Greg, you preached on Elijah and the Uh, chariots of fire taking him away. Yep. Uh, And so could you be a Christian and believe that kind of an event actually didn't happen? (laughs) Right. Right. And I would say, yeah, because there's a possibility that within the writing of that, that there was literary things going on that the author was, was trying to convey stuff uh, regarding uh, what was culturally relevant at that time in terms of, like, the mm-hmm. the myths that they believed in terms of Baal, in terms of their Right, it gods. might be
1: polemic. The, the yes. thing might be, a, yes. uh, they might be using imagery to try to argue against the gods, right. gods of the land. Yeah. <clears throat> right. But that's what I'm trying to, that's what I was trying to say in mm-hmm. a long-winded way is that, okay, through more understanding and maybe more understanding of the historical background, we would come to, oh, I, that's what he meant by what he said there. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's But there are people who come to the scriptures and say, right, uh, yeah, I believe a lot of the Bible, just not these parts. And these parts end up being, well, I just think Jesus was wrong about what he said about... Marriage. Marriage or, or divorce right, or right. sexual ethics or these sorts of things. It's at those points. That's what I said. That's what I was trying to say at the beginning. Mm-hmm. Is it's at those points where I think that you're, you're in a place now where you're actually denying the words of Christ. And it... and that, that's where he he gets you. You know, like, you, you say to me, Lord, Lord, but you do not do what I say. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, in John 8, he, I, which I mentioned before, he he calls these people, these Jews who believe in his name, he calls them children of the devil, and the reason is because you have no room for my word. Mm. So, in other words, what I've been saying about myself is not something that you're willing to accept. So, as a result, you can say all all you want that you believe in me, but that's not, it's not true, because the one the person you're believing in isn't me it's somebody else so yeah there's lots of warnings in scripture about denying his words Mm -hmm. Mm.
2: exactly so it
1: depends on what you mean by an anercy
2: yep right. well we have another question so I think well yeah that one kind of I think this is the next one we're going to it kind of leads into the one on theistic evolution yeah
0: um, it's The question is, in your opinion, does theistic evolution belong in the open-handed box, Christians are free to have this view, or the closed-handed box, Christians are not free to have this view?
2: What is theistic evolution? Paul. Theistic evolution is the idea that God <laughs> created everything using evolution. So, mm-hmm. did he... So some people would say that Darwin actually was right and that God used this process to create things. Now, I don't agree with theistic evolution. I don't believe that that I don't believe that God did do that. I think the scripture shows us that God did not create such things as or such beings as human uh, human beings from or that by evolving them from primates. Um, now, other things that Darwin showed, such as you know, he looks at the beaks of different birds and stuff, and so you have you have different smaller changes within creatures that have changed over time. That that's fine. Within creatures a, within a species, creatures can adapt. Yeah, for sure. So, it but that's did, something that people believed for
1: a long time. Totally right. That's that's what farmers have done forever, in trying to to get a better you know, sheep or a better they they breed right. they breed them and they breed they breed them well and they breed out things that they
2: don't want. Right. Right. So mm-hmm. this is
1: not that's not a new that was not a new idea. Right.
2: So the idea, you know, that that all the different types of sheep came from one original sheep yep. makes sense to me. Or the fact that all types of dogs came go back to one other type of dog thousands of years ago or whatever. Is is totally fine.
1: So that's evolution.
2: Right on a certain level. Yeah, but you're but disagreeing it's, it's with not. You would disagree. From species to species or with from... that
1: cross species, but but mm-hmm. theistic evolution would argue that actually no, all of that is true. The the prevailing right. scientific model for for our day, which is Darwinian uh, evolutionary theory, and I was going to say yeah. naturalism. It's not. They would say it's not naturalist. It's right. God, God has superintended it. Mm-hmm. This is the mm-hmm. way that He has done it. Yeah. So BioLagos is an organization that is that is filled with people who are theistic evolutionists. Uh, Trinity Western University's biology department, I think, is almost entirely theistic evolution, mm. uh, theistic evolutionists. And so the question then is, well, can you be a Christian and hold that view? And my answer is, or, or is it an open—that's what we mean by open-handed, close-handed. If it's yes. a close-handed view, we're saying, no, we actually think you're not a believer. Mm-hmm. Is it open-handed in the sense that, well, yeah, we might disagree with it and think it's significant, a significant false teaching but can you hold that viewpoint right and still be a a christian believer my answer is yes i think you can i think it's open-handed in that sense yes with that said i think it creates all sorts of challenges with certain things in scripture Mm. especially with adam and eve especially in whether they're real people Mm -hmm. and what that does theologically to jesus being the 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 last adam Mm-hmm. And I, I just, Jesus seems to treat Adam and Eve as if they were real people. There are some yep. options there regarding, well, how mm-hmm. did Adam and Eve become real people? There are, there are uh, theologians these days who are saying, well, look, there might have been 10,000 hominids, and, and God chose two to be representative heads. Okay, that, that kind of would make sense of a little bit, and do away with any of the questions that we have about, like, who, who did Adam, or sorry, wh- how did they get the kids? Where did these kids come from? Mm-hmm. well maybe there are other people there that that you understand. Mhm. Um I don't totally buy that yet, but I think it's a I think it's a question in play currently for the mm-hmm. for 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 uh us to discuss and debate and figure out and not have the threat that oh you're not actually a, a believer.
3: So would we also say that you could hold the theistic evolutionist view and also hold what we were describing before as an inerrancy in terms of no, that's cha- the truthfulness of mm-hmm. the word. I know of that.
1: people who, uh, you know, for example, the Evangelical Theological Society, which has got one of its basis points is you have to believe in inerrancy. And I know people who are part of the ETA, uh, part of ETS who actually hold to theistic evolution. Their argument is largely that, look, the the first couple chapters of Genesis doesn't address the age of the earth or the method that God used to bring about these people, Right. And and in some way, I, I actually I actually tend to agree with them in the sense that I don't I don't think Genesis one is addressing the questions of twenty first century cosmology. I don't think it's it's dealing with that. And so you're looking for it to answer some things that I don't think it's in its view to answer. So is are the is the does the door swing open then for theistic evolution to be a possibility? Sure, sure it does. Sure. Sure, but I, I'm I'm you know, I, I have a limited exposure, not not minuscule, but a limited exposure to the science behind it. I have significant questions, both worldview wise and also just scientific wise. I, I would like to know why why certain things have happened in the fossil record. I would like to know where where these these hmm. bridging between species is seen. Mm-hmm. I don't think that there's a huge amount of that. I mean, why does the fossil right. record have this massive jump at a certain period of time? It just seems like that doesn't fit the slow, steady, gradual—you know—evolutionary yep. chain of events. Right. It seems like something happened at that point. Right. And, and scientists and then say then the, it's like you mass mutations all at one particular mm-hmm. time that all provided yeah. a benefit benefit for the for the for the species or the the animals that it mutated for. And I'm mm-hmm. like, well, that doesn't. Ha-. Anyway, I got all sorts of questions about the science mm-hmm. of it um, that I would love to have. Answered, and I have some philosophical questions about the science of it as well. My, but with that said, I don't think I'm forced into the in the first couple chapters of Genesis to believe that this this passage is is saying is is precluding any kind of uh, process other than God actually, you know, dropping mm-hmm. fully formed beings right here. And you see what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Yeah.
2: Yeah. So the young Earth people or people, yeah, young Earth people would say that the earth was created with an apparent age. Yeah. Whereas... Which I'm cool with, by the way. Yeah. Like I... Totally. Yeah. Because, I mean, if God formed Adam and Eve out of the dust, like, and if we're reading um, Genesis literally in that, then, yeah, he didn't create them as babies at that point. He created them as grown adults. Right. So they they would have had an apparent age, and therefore the rest of the earth would have as well.
1: Right. And there are other ways to understand Genesis 1 in terms of how... Whether or not it leaves open the possibility that, that the earth was, the earth, uh, that there was a period of time where there were beings on the earth prior to God inaugurating the, the whole event. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are lots of different takes on this. My point is that it's a question that's in play. Mm-hmm. And we can talk about the details and stuff, and some have good arguments, and some have bad arguments. Uh, and and theistic evolution is is like that. Some mm-hmm. some of the stuff that it's going to end up saying it's going to create some challenges in other parts of scripture that people are trying to work through at this particular moment. Right. But please hear me. I'm not a theistic evolutionist. But if mm-hmm. somebody were one, I would not say, "Well, that you're not a Christian." There, it'd be hard for us. I I don't know if I want to let you teach some stuff in in my church at that point that's a a different discussion Mm -hmm. that we're having Mm
2: -hmm.
0: great well uh, let's move on Greg are you are you
1: agreeing or disagreeing with that what we just said are you
3: no I'm good with it
1: are you yeah you don't think that they should be kicked
3: out theistic evolutionists yeah no wow no
1: I uh, what would you say to somebody who would who does believe that
3: that they should be kicked out yeah I I think Can you see their point of view? Of, the, of why they would want them to be kicked yeah. out? Yeah. I think the motivation to want to kick out the theistic evolutionists would be the charge of of not taking the Bible seriously.
1: Mm-hmm. Is, that, is that a charge mm-hmm. that, that holds weight?
3: I don't think so. And the reason why is because I'm not convinced that the texts they're going to point to have as much to do with 21st century cosmology as they're going to want to make it seem. So because of that I think to read I think to read Genesis 1 and 2 in particular with authorial intent means you're going to have some non-negotiables about who God is and how and that God created things and that humans are special right. and but there of, are the, lots of theological truths that that have to be affirmed that once they're denied I think you're not understanding what the author is intending. I think once we also import the how God did it into the authorial intent. I think that's when we're starting to cross the line from the ancient Near East point and what we're wanting it to say in our context.
1: Right. Your argument though is exegetical. You're saying that I don't think that the right. text the relevant texts are are addressing this issue. Right. So I've therefore had, there's it's an open door to perhaps yeah. other ways of understanding it that maybe science is, is the contemporary science is answering the question quite well. Hmm. I, I, which I don't believe, actually. I'm again. I have all sorts of questions mm-hmm. Ab- mm-hmm. about mm-hmm. it, and I have all sorts of
3: issues. My, I have had opportunities to talk about this in a, a few different contexts. My, um, people usually want to pin me down on, okay, well, what's your viewpoint on the how piece, right? Young Earth, old earth, theistic evolutionists, and at this point, I'm still mostly agnostic on the how, because I just haven't engaged in in that part of the conversation to the degree where but I have the like realm really of in- deep convictions about it, but.
1: You would come to those convictions, though, not through the study of the text, is what you're... I hear you saying that. Yes. Yeah. But through the study of the relevant science <clears throat> of, yeah, be, be, of that area, because you're yeah. saying the text doesn't uh, isn't addressing directly this issue. Yeah.
3: So, yes, I, I think that I, I hold convictions about what the text is saying about God and about creation, about the uniqueness of humanity and all these kinds of things. Um, the, the how, I don't have convictions on at this point just because i again i haven't invested the time to really search it out mostly because i don't know i'm not convinced that the how matters as much as the why and so i've just decided to focus my time on other things but
1: even that approach right there betrays a certain attitude toward the question that we're being asked which is that well i don't it's not it's sort of open for debate. Yeah, I mean, I would. So it's not I a close-handed would, thing. For uh, you.
3: No, but I would want to. I would want to know. It's kind of like math, right? You can have the answer, but I want to see how you got there. So, so how did you get to theistic evolution? And yeah. and then I think we could probably say, no, yeah, it's an open handed issue.
1: We should probably say at this point too that the theistic evolution is like bashed by by Darwinian naturalists. I mean, <laughs> they just think it's the dumbest idea. Mm. I could. <laughs> I've read chapters of books where the where Darwinian naturalists are like, "Are you kidding me?" So you basically are so cake and eat it too kind of thing. Yeah. Well, you yeah. you want to hold on to God so much. We've shown that He's not involved at all, and now you want to hold on to Him so much that you just like, well, He just sort of started this this top spinning. <laughs> Somebody had to twist it right and mm-hmm. flick it, and come on. No, I but that doesn't sted, mean that doesn't sted, mean that they're right. I'm just saying right, that it's yeah. very funny. If you're a theist evolutionist, you really do get it from your yep. comrades. All sides. Yeah, you mm-hmm. really do.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Great. Well, uh, we have one more question.
3: I feel like we just made a lot of people mad, though.
0: Yeah. <laughs>
3: <laughs> well,
1: please ask the questions. I, you might. Some people will be upset because we're not we're not being more dogmatic on one way or another. On that, and and that's that's fine. But again, I just want to reiterate that our my lack of dogmatism on it has to do with what I believe the texts are saying and not saying. I think that you can overread the Bible to make it argue things that the authors did not intend. Mm-hmm. So it ends up becoming a hermeneutical discussion. Yeah.
2: Right. Mm-hmm. Definitely.
0: Okay, I'm just going to read a portion of this email. It has to do with giving, uh, Christian giving. And it says, just what is sacrificial giving? Is it giving up your daily Starbucks? Is it tithing your mortgage payment and just seeing what happens? Should we all skip our family vacation and give the money away instead? Is the new car a gift to be thankful for, or is it hoarding treasures on earth? Doesn't sacrifice mean losing out on something you want? So the question is, what does it mean to give sacrificially?
1: What a great question, by the way. What a great question. Totally commend it. And it's it's wrestling with all of the challenges with there. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot to be put there. Can we should probably start to say, the scriptures do affirm that God gives us gifts that we might enjoy life. Gives us things that we might enjoy life. That that actually part of God's goodness is that he and and actually his common grace is that mm-hmm. he gives us uh, money to pay for lots of stuff. That I like uh, to get eating an ice cream riding a bicycle, owning that bicycle, driving a car and having that car, you know, these are all real rich wonderful blessings and and the Lord gives them to us and we we want to we want to affirm the goodness of those material blessings in in our lives. There's nothing wrong with them. They're they're horribly dangerous. Right? Mm. Yes. Because they are good things that become ultimate things and Mm -hmm. we like to love them more Mm -hmm. and then we like to think that actually the way we're going to keep score in the world is who's got more of these good things and i have to have more of these good things in order for me to be comfortable in order for me to be the winner between me and my friends this is when it becomes an idol so like anything any good thing can become an idol. And so ultimately, this the, the danger of, of loving those things too much uh, and not putting them in their proper context as good gifts given to us by God that are avenues through avenues on which we can say, see the goodness of the Lord, that when we drive our car, we say, oh, God, thank you for this. And they be, you know what I mean? They become w- ways for us to worship him. Instead, they become the thing itself that we're worshiping. That's a horrible, horrible danger. But that was one of the parts of their question. Yeah. The the other one has to do with the tension of okay, so what do we do with the scriptures that say, you know, sell your possessions, give to the poor? But Luke 12.
2: Mm-hmm. What?
1: You still have some possessions there, Greg.
3: I know I haven't done it yet.
1: <laughs> so are you denying Jesus? <laughs> wow, silence. How do you guys how do you guys deal with the, the that particular tension? What kind of what kind of advice would you give to people? Who are reading those things in the scriptures, mm. and uh, as this the question says, mm. I even read a passage that says, you know, in Second Corinthians, where Paul is saying, mm-hmm. um, "Look, he who was rich, became poor. You might become rich." So it, when you're going to respond, the gospel is how you sh- mm-hmm. you should be your standard for
2: response. Mm-hmm. I mean, like uh, that's a lot, mm. right? Yeah, if you think about what what Christ gave up to save us you think about him leaving his heavenly throne to live a life among sinful humanity get his feet dirty experience pain beyond anything that I I would say every listener on this has ever felt probably Mm. Uh, well to feel the effects of human sin yeah and and then and then to feel to feel hell yeah To feel the effects of all our sin on himself and then to die for us Mm. uh, to bring us uh, into right relationship with god and offer us forgiveness and salvation eternal life Uh, i think you know for us to think about giving sacrificially we'll never be as sacrificial as he was Mm. but i think uh when we're called to when we're called to love our neighbor i think that does involve sacrificial giving so if you have if you have a neighbor that you know needs something uh like actually consider well can i fill that need for them
3: yeah i think the so here's one i, I mean i haven't sold everything i own and give it to the poor do you have to here's the kind of the framework Jesus that, said
1: that Greg, he said it. I know. So, want when we get it for you? Yep, you I'm can do read that. It for
3: you. you can do that. I'll tell you kind of the framework that I use and you can tell me if I'm being disobedient or not. How about that? So, I mean, the way I view it is is I think stewardship's a helpful framework for this. I think the idea that we recognize that all things we've received are from God and for him and for his purposes and to to have a not only a willingness but and actual obedience and stewarding things well so that we uh, are able to provide for people around us that when there are crises in the lives of the people around us that we give generously that we are people who who don't uh, care more about our own five-year financial plan but we we care more about stewarding what God has given us well for the sake of the good of others so that's the framework. I've used, which includes some things like regular giving to certain agencies and the church. It's included Mm -hmm. giving more spontaneously at different points to to more pressing cultural or or Mm -hmm. personal needs of other people. And yet, I still have like stuff. Like, I live in a a place and we Mm -hmm. own like a table and couches to sit on and a TV to watch.
1: Uh, And you take a holiday. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. Mm-hmm. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Luke 12, verse 33
3: to mm-hmm. 34. Yeah. And then Paul will will talk about the necessity to work so well, that we have Paul. something. Paul didn't say that. So, later, Paul will talk about you need to work so that you have to, something to share with others. Don't go to Paul. That's that's what
1: it says in yeah, Luke. No, for sure. Do you know it's interesting passage like that and all the you know he, the Jesus or uh, the rich ruler comes to Jesus. He said, "Okay, you got to sell all your stuff." Mm. And then, so you can walk away from these pe- texts thinking, "Oh my goodness, I'm not actually obeying God if I don't unless mm-hmm. I don't own, own anything." And there have been those who become mass ascetics, mm-hmm. gone out into the hills and owned nothing except like the coat on their back. But mm-hmm. even then, they're like willing to give it to so anyone. Anyway, we need to recognize that Jesus uh, is speaking hyperbolically here. Right, it's in a yes. context, and Jesus was given to speak in hyperbole. It's very common for him to do so, but mm-hmm. there's a point to his hyperbole. When he's when he's he's exaggerating for the sake of effect. He actually has an intent here, and the intent is to is to show. Look, you can even see it. Right, where your treasure is, there your heart will be. Also, yeah, he's essentially saying, provide yourselves with money bags that don't grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that doesn't fail. Like you need to invest in the right thing. Mm-hmm. Is what he's trying to say is that, look, this isn't the only life that there is. That when you invest your money in the poor and in the disenfranchised, when you invest your money by uh, seeking to support the missionary, he's going to go out and proclaim the gospel to the unreached. You're actually making a radical statement about which kingdom you believe in, mm. right? Yeah. And that's the ultimate point. That that's what Jesus was trying to do with the rich ruler. He was after his allegiance. He was trying to say, look, your money is obviously the thing that's tying you down right now and the thing that you love most. Mm-hmm. So you give me the money, and it'll demonstrate ultimately that, you're, that, it, that you, it's not your God. So it's, it's not so much you can't own anything as let your lifestyle demonstrate that you love Jesus more than stuff. Mm-hmm. And there are real practical, excellent ways to do that. Uh, one of them is giving regularly, as Greg said, mm-hmm. right? I mean, the, and, and when we say sacrificially, it should pinch a little bit. Mm-hmm. There should be moments that you look at your at your life, or maybe you look at those around you who don't give, and you say to yourself, man, I could be affording all of that if I didn't give.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And that there should be that, that little niggle. Now, of course, you know, you're starting to covet there. But you shouldn't covet. You should say, no, I'm actually making this decision to do this because I actually want to invest in the right kingdom. Mm -hmm. And I'm Mm -hmm. demonstrating that my love is in God and his kingdom, and I love his – I want his appearing, you know? Those are the things that are things that I'm waiting for, not for a new bike or car or whatever, although owning a new bike or a new car or whatever is not necessarily wrong. It can be be very right. It's just – I, I talked to some wealthy people recently, and I said, "You know, your life should be marked by generosity." Mm-hmm. As a wealthy person, you have a huge amount of responsibility the Lord has invested in you. Mm. But your life should be marked with generosity, radical generosity, and mm-hmm. it should pinch a little bit. Yeah.
2: No, that's great.
1: But you don't. You can't live a law. Everybody wants mm-hmm. a law. Okay. Yeah. Should I buy the BMW? Should not. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Go buy buy it, don't, I don't, whatever. You have to answer all those questions between you and the Lord, ultimately. Should you buy that house or this house? Should you invest in this or that? There's all sorts of reasons why you might want to invest in a better home. Hmm. And there's all sorts of reasons why you might not. Mm -hmm. But that's going to be something that you're going to have to answer for the Lord. Should we have a second home up in the hill should we go you I don't know. In the
2: backwoods of mission? Yeah,
1: backwoods of mission or on the lake so such a place. Well, maybe. Mm-hmm. You know, if that kind of place is the kind of place that you know you, you're going away to and it's really renewing your heart, so you come back so that you're ready to serve the Lord with more fervor mm-hmm. and give more, you know, mm-hmm. sacrificially, then, totally. then I think that's awesome. Mm-hmm. If it's the kind of place though that you hoard, yee, no, you should not. Right. Mm-hmm. So my question is, okay, when you go and buy the place, oh, are you generous with it? Right. Are right. You, Are you? you? What are you doing with it? Yeah. How do you want to do it? And of course, then people, and this is where it gets right, you know, that, that mm. becomes challenging because, you know, you can invite people into your home and let them use that kind of thing. They're not always going to treat it with the great, mm. con, you know, mm-hmm. and then you're going to be faced with the question, well, I don't want to ruin my stuff. Wait a minute, mm. whose stuff? Right. Right, because you built it and justified building it and buying it by saying, well, it's going to be used for ministry. Yeah, well, now you're using it for ministry to help other people, but it's not being treated like you want it to be treated. Right? You can talk to them about that or that sort of thing, but those in those moments, you have an opportunity to reflect on whether or not, okay, wait a minute. Why am I doing this? Hmm. Right? Hmm. Whose is it really? Hmm. Right?
3: That sort of thing.
1: So it's a, money is hard to deal with. It is. It is in many ways much easier if you don't have a lot of it.
3: Hmm. So in the past... I don't know how long ago it was. We did a sermon series called Bling. We did, Greg. Where we talked about money. We Mm -hmm. did.
1: We did it out of Luke, Acts, or Book of Luke and the Book of Acts, everything Mm -hmm. Luke wrote about it. So we are going to do another one this coming year, actually, around Christmas time. What? The sequel. Do you know what? Really? The sequel. I was thinking about this the other day. What's Uh, it called? Bling Bling. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. Um, it's out of Paul. So Paul's uh, Paul has written several places about money. So we're going to be looking at the different places he does. Hi- I tried to talk weeks, about Paul weeks. and money, and you got mad at me. Because oh, I think you were jumping. You were doing Lone Ranger exegesis. You know? <laughs> Don't like this text, so I'm going to ride off over to this other That's right.
3: one. That's exactly what yeah. I was doing. Um, I was getting No, we're going to do,
1: do Paul and money. Um, he, was looking he has for a few the things to bullet. say about it. But uh, here's the thing. There are some things that we forget all the time in our culture that need to be repeated, mm. and I almost feel remiss that it's, it was something like seven, six, seven years ago that we did the blank series. Here, yeah. And I, it should not be the case that we that we wait that long to talk about this particular subject, especially in our culture, because mm. mm-hmm. we we just we just need a reminder over and over again. Paul says that at the beginning, Philippians three. I don't need to remind you of you brothers, right? Mm-hmm. Because it's something you're already doing, but for the sake of mm. <laughs> for the sake of uh, of pastoral care, mm. Mm. beware of the dogs, beware of the false right. teachers, beware of the, like he says this stuff in the beginning of Philippians three, and I, I feel that way about money. Is that look a lot of you guys have heard this before, some of this stuff before, um, but the reminder of of it is important. Mm. Yeah it's a great text. We're going to go through Philippians 4:13. It's going to be one of the passages we do and mm-hmm. I think Ephesians 4:28, which is the one you said, you know, that you should get a job so you can have something to share with others in great. need. Mm-hmm. So Paul's very practical. He's 1st Timothy 6, he he he's very practical with money and he's trying to yeah, encourage people to use it in a wise way. Give me neither poverty nor riches. It's a proverb. Give me neither, give me neither but neither one are good. Mm-hmm. To be really poor stinks. Mm-hmm. But to be really rich stinks, right? Mm-hmm. Because it, it will lead your heart away. Yeah. In poverty, you want to steal from people, right? To get more. When you're really rich, you want to hoard. Mm-hmm. And your heart gets tied to that stuff. So thank mm-hmm. God. Thank God for your
0: middle class life, <laughs> which is <laughs> richer than most people on the planet. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right, well, you guys can prepare for the Bling Bling series and. Bling bling. Next year, sometime. It's in Christmas time. At Christmas time Take that, Santa. Yeah. This is episode two hundred and sixty. Email your questions to extra Northview dot org. Signing off is Poochie, the producer.